so I um, I came back from the the booze store with a brand new vodka. Ooh, which is this is and the label is half upside down. So I'll turn it upside down. It's top shelf vodka from Perth, Ontario. Never heard of it. So another one of these Ontario boutique distillers. This vodka is uh, corn based. Okay, well that's interesting. So, so what it means is that um, it's actually a little more potent, and I don't need to water it down as much. Okay. And and what are you drinking here tonight? Uh, I had a uh, Northern Harvest. This is a you ro- had before the show even got going. You already finished it. Listen, it's been a long week, and I'm actually on vacation. I had a um, Crown Royal Northern Harvest with a couple of ice cubes. Very nice. Wow, I'm surprised you're not sleeping under the console. It's good. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The Big Show is live on location at Fan Expo Canada. Dave from 2001 A Space Odyssey explains the ending, and we learn what it takes to become a certified stormtrooper. We'll jump into the Wayback Machine to 1986 and recently unearthed tragically hip demo with alternate lyrics for New Orleans is sinking. Plus, my first week ditching the Apple Watch for a Fitbit, and I'm mostly okay. Mostly. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. How did you like your first fan expo? Uh, okay. Now, I have managed to get through my entire life without going to one of these things. The, my only... <laughs> uh, actually, no, that's not true. There was one many years ago at Nathan Phillips Square in Toronto. And it was an outdoor one-day thing. And I emceed something. God, I can't remember what it was. But I do know that there was some kind of Star Trek component to it. But that's all I remember. I've never... And that was in the early days of this. This, you know, I think it was before Comic Con. I think it was. It was certainly before Fan Expo had become what it is. This big business, and you know, taking two halves of the Toronto Convention Center. Um, it was eye opening. Uh, there were some very interesting people there. You you went only to the lineup to get autographs from a big famous person section. Did you go over to the the South Building where no. Oh, that, that's where all the action is. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, so, okay. You were there with, uh, with the daughter. Yes. Junior reporter Olivia Hainsworth and I interviewed the 501st Legion about how to become a stormtrooper. All right. So, uh, full name and title? Uh, Ted Healy, D-E-D-H-E-A-L-E-Y. Uh, I am part of the membership um, um, league. Okay, so you're responsible for signing up new recruits. Uh, yes, I uh, I do intake and triage for new recruits. <laughs> <laughs> triage seems somewhat literal because I know that there are very stringent requirements to get into the 501st. Yes, there are. We have uh, we are very movie accurate when we uh, when we come to our costumes. So um, we have to make sure that they're headed down the right path, that they're uh, making the right stuff, and uh, it takes a bit of a, a bit of time, but. Um, you know, that's what we're there for. When someone comes to you saying, I would like to join the 501st, what kind of strict guidelines do they have to follow? You can't just walk into a Walmart and walk out with a Stormtrooper outfit. No, unfortunately you can't. It would be so easy if you could, but no. Um, we have a, a lot of uh, people who are out there to help uh, create these costumes. Um, if you go to uh, 501st.com, they have a library there of all the characters and what it's required. The minimum requirements, middle requirements, and upper requirements for uh, building things like a, a stormtrooper or um, a Tuscan Raider or anything like that. Good job. There'll be no escape for the princess this time. What's that? I notice that it's not just about the stormtroopers themselves. We are standing in what feels like a very authentic set. Yes, uh, we just uh, made this a couple of years ago. It's the Tantive Four. It's the hallway where uh, the first hall- hallway you see, the first set in uh, Star Wars: A New Hope. So at any point, someone could come blasting through there. Yes, I hope not, because uh, that would hurt. Probably a lot. Yeah. So when it comes to making uh, movie-accurate,
accurate replica sets. Is there even a blueprint you can turn to? Um, we basically throw on a Blu-ray uh, disc and uh, just you know take measurements uh, the best we can, um, and uh, we go from there. Uh, I guess it's all math. You could say, well, we're X number of feet away from that shot. Exactly. If that actor is six foot tall, then that ceiling must be like 12 feet right. or something like that. So two years ago, you built this particular set. Mm-hmm. How long did it take? Um, I wasn't part of the crew, but I think it took a full year. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the 501st does more than just let the Millennium Falcon escape. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, uh, we also help out uh, charities uh, here in Canada. Uh, our number one charity that we uh, provide for is uh, Make-A-Wish Canada. Uh-oh. Oh. I, I would look out behind you. <laughs> you're, you're about to be attacked. Who's that? <laughs> it seems a little tall for Jawas, if you ask me. Too short for a stormtrooper? Huh? Well, you know, we're all inclusive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you even have short stormtroopers? We, we, yes, we have short and tall stormtroopers. Of course, that line, you know, you're a little bit uh, short for a stormtrooper, uh, doesn't apply to anybody here. Right, so while there are very strict rules about what constitutes a proper stormtrooper uniform, mm-hmm. uh, there are no height restrictions. No, there's there's no actual physical re- restrictions. As long as the costume fits, is movie accurate, we're happy to have you on board. So back to the um, charity work and the fundraising that the 501st does. Uh, people here who want to get their photos taken, they're going to pop down a couple of bucks to make that possible, and all that money's going to charity? Uh, 100%. Awesome stuff. <laughs> so what, what are you guys working on behind the scenes that we'll see maybe next year? Um, we're just getting through uh, this weekend. Um, I can't really say, but I think it's going to be something solo work. Oh, solo know. related. Maybe. Wasn't exactly the most popular film. Um, yeah, I, I have opinions, but um, I liked it a lot. So that's, uh, I think everybody should go out and see it. <laughs> okay, so you're working on some of the behind the scenes that's solo related. Could be. Could be, maybe, maybe not. Yes. We'll just have to come back next year to find out. Please do. We're happy to have you along. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Oh, so she was the camera person. She was the camera person. I was the interviewer because she didn't feel comfortable being on in front of the camera at this no, point. Not like, well, not daddy's daughter yet. You also, though, got a chance to finally, considering you're such a big fan of 2001 A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick, see Dave in person. Yeah, this was the really cool thing. We were coming in, and uh, you were the one that said, hey, look to your left. They're doing a, a, a panel uh, with the people from 2001. I go, what? Really cool? And we, the moment we walked in, the MC says, ladies and gentlemen, Kira DeLay and Gary Lockwood. And it's like, yeah, wow. So Kira DeLay played David Bowman in the original uh, in 2001 and 2010. And Gary Lockwood was Frank Poole, the guy, the doomed astronaut in 2001. He eventually shows up again in the uh, the book sequel, 20, 2061, I think. Um, anyway, um, it was really cool seeing these guys because the first time I saw 2001 was the re-release in 1972. And my dad took me to... Um, a theater in Winnipeg called the Grant Park Theater, which had one of those uh, Cinerama screens, you know, the the one that went about, you know, 260 degrees. Really? Well, not 260, it'd be 100 and, well, whatever, it was a big curved screen. They showed it in, in 70 millimeter. In fact, the, the 70 millimeter print that's being re-released now, I saw that in its original form back in 1972. I'd already read the book uh, a thousand times. I tried to figure out exactly what the ending meant. He addressed that right out of the gate. You'd think he would have saved that as the last question, but it was his first... It was. He wasn't even prompted. This is uh, this is Cure Delight. He wasn't even prompted to, to explain exactly what... Uh, the you know Stanley Kubrick had, had intended for this particular movie. Listen, I'm going to share something with you because this is somewhat new. Because, um, as you can imagine, uh, we're we're often asked as the years go by, what does the ultimate mean of 2000? What does it mean? And uh, I recently, uh, within this last yeah, two months ago, read uh, an occurrence of Stanley being interviewed and being asked that same question. And in that particular instance, he said, how do you explain in words Beethoven's Fifth Symphony? You can't. Every human being that listens to that piece of music has a different experience because we bring a different persona. 
And the per I can prove that because um, when, you, when you hear the music, the Blue Danube, what's the first thing you think of? of his answer it's it's the correct answer it, it really, really it, it is that it it's is. A, you you're allowed to leave it up to interpretation uh, you have to because it's that vague in the book in the movie it is it is that but, vague. but when the artist himself comes flat out and tells you exactly what the ending of 2001 the space odyssey means shouldn't you take the artist's interpretation well you could take the artist's interpretation but it was vague enough that you could actually interpret the interpretation and that was, I guess, what Dave was trying to get across, is that an art film or art in the form of music can mean whatever you, the consumer of that art, wants it to mean. The creator can tell you what to look for, and what you find is up to you. That's, that's the way I took it. And, and uh, I agree with him entirely because I've you know, been a fan of this movie. I've seen it a thousand times. I've read the book a thousand times. I've seen the sequels a thousand times. I've read all the books that followed the original a thousand times, so I'm, I'm pretty well versed in the whole 2001 mythology. I've read all the books about the movie, so this was it was really cool. Kier Delay looks like David Bowman, like you would yes. expect him to yeah. if you saw the movie. He looks he looks like the aged version of him from the film, from the original film. Yeah, it's amazing how good a job they did in the 1960s for that. Yeah, and, and what he was saying, 12 hours with the makeup to make him look that old in, in the in the first film. 12 hours or 40 years, something like that. Um, and then, uh, but Gary Lockwood. Now, Gary Lockwood was in the uh, pilot for Star Trek. He was also in another Star Trek where his eyes got all sparkly. I can't remember the name of the uh, the episode. Uh, but to look at Gary Lockwood is like, that's you, Frank Poole? Uh, you kind of changed. Dude, that, that's why I was convinced that he was nobody. I, I, we came in late, so I looked at the guy, and it, it sounded like David Bowman was setting him up as one of the crew members. And so when he started talking and wouldn't stop talking, I was like, come on, give it back to Dave. <laughs> I'm looking at uh, his Wikipedia page, and have, they have all the pictures here. Uh, of him through the years and uh, the man has changed well space will do that to you yeah it will be especially if you're floating around somewhere on the orbit of jupiter uh it is going to make you look a little bit weird you're probably going to age a little bit uh oh yeah he was kept okay he was in star trek equinox he was gary he was captain gary mitchell gary mitchell that's it he played the character gary mitchell in that particular episode all right so that was cool. Um, then I went for a walk around the place after you and uh, junior reporter Olivia Hainsworth left me. And uh, there was all this stuff that I didn't know I really ever wanted. Like um, there was a Superman bathrobe <laughs> hanging next to a what looked like a bathrobe for the Klingon High Command from Kronos. And I thought, hmm, you know what? I need that. I didn't buy it, but I came really, really close. And, and if... if you came home with that bathrobe. How would your wife respond? Uh, she would have just snorted and said, thank God you discovered these kinds of events this late in your life. Because if it had happened earlier, if these events had been around earlier in your life, we would have never met. And you would have been married to some cosplay chick. 
I would have assumed that she would have just been relieved you were finally wearing clothes around the house. Well, there's that. Uh, I do work out of the house, so there's no need to wear pants. You did bring up a very interesting point. You and I are, we're not that far apart in, in ages, and this whole concept of fan-based conventions is a relatively new thing. And when we were in our youth, our prime, had these shows existed, yeah, we probably would have walked away with um, some cosplay chick instead of the women we met. Oh, and all the crap I would have bought. I mean, everything, shut up, squirt. Everything that I that I would have bought, um, I, I mean, the, the house would be filled with lightsabers and phasers and all the other repli- uh, souvenir replicas. I, you know, I I really needed. I saw this. Like, there's a lot of iPhone cases. I almost bought a Bazinga iPhone case, just because. Just because, because you know, I'm a fan of Big Bang Theory, so uh, I, I I could have had that. Where else would I find it? And then I was looking at dog leashes and dog collars, and I thought, hmm, a Spider-Man dog collar for the small dog. She would like that. Oh, she would, would she? Well, she would. I mean, I would have thought it pretty cool. She's a black and white dog. The thing was black and white. I thought, well, you know, she would have matched. But um, I, I thought to myself, no, 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 no. You're going to do the responsible thing, and you're going to leave. <laughs> With your visa card intact. With my visa card intact. So I, I went to the Ritz-Carlton, and oh, a buck on oyster. So I had a, a, a big whack of oysters and went home. I did, however, and you have... Uh, uh, video evidence of this, uh, I did manage to connect with William Shatner. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. You bombasted your way through the line of poor schmoes who've been waiting forever for an autograph and 30-second conversation yep. and just barged right in. And I'm right behind <laughs> you with the camera going and his handler's like, I'm sorry, we're not doing interviews right now. And I said, oh, I'm not here for Mr. Shatner. I'm following this guy here. Like you were the big shot, not Shatner. Oh, I see. Okay, well, that, I, I didn't realize. And, and, that you and were where's our big Shatner interview? Uh, see, see, here's here's our problem now, and we realized this way too late. It turns out that at Fan Expo Toronto, there were a lot of people who were doing podcasts there. Yes. And what we should have done is well in advance, you know, probably months in advance, we should have reserved some podcast space for us so we could have lined up a variety of guests and had them all on the show. So we're definitely going to do that next year. We Listen, it was a reconnaissance mission. We, now we know what we have to do. Good point. Good point. And it was my suggestion that since a lot of these podcasts that were there were booking rooms for fans to watch them do their show live, I thought we could do that. And then I had a sober second thought on this. Why? Because it would require the fans of the Geeks and Beats podcast to buy tickets to Fan Expo to see us. Wait, okay, no, no, hang on. You know that there are people who listen to this show that are going to go to Fan Expo regardless of whether we're there or not. Sure, but I don't want to put any additional cash in the pocket of Fan Expo when we could put it in our own pocket. I was the moderator of a panel with Kirstine Stewart and Gladstone Grant. Do you know who any of these people are? No, I don't. Kirstine Stewart, uh, Twitter Canada, formerly the CDC, oh, yeah, right. yeah. Um, now at Tribal Scale. Big brain in the world of technology. And Gladstone Grant is the equivalent at Microsoft. And we were at um, the Northern Brewery Company on Bathurst Street near King on a Tuesday night. And the organizer explains to me that he didn't pay for the room at all. Hmm. They paid him for the room. Oh, The idea being is that no one's going to a bar on a Tuesday night. The event room will be empty on a Tuesday night. So they do these bites and brews sessions where people arrive. They paid ticket money to get into the event. They get four samplers of different craft beers. The owner of the craft beer operation will explain what the different um, beers are all about. And then there was the panel session, or in the case of you and me, we could do the actual show live to air, maybe even interview the craft brewery, because I know you're a fan of beer, me not so much. No, I'm not a fan of beer. I'm a fan of spirits. told you that. You know that. Okay, well, then let's find a different place. But the point being is that there are event spaces in bars that aren't being used on a Tuesday night where the operation is more than happy to have us bring 50 people down or what have you to come down because the sampler beers in this case were free, but then a full-on beer, a sampler beer being the equivalent of a quarter of a beer. Uh, then after that, if you wanted to have another drink, you paid for that. You also got free food, yada, yada, yada. So why not put 
the majority of the ticket money into the Geeks and Beats coffers instead of the Fan Expo coffers. And let's actually have an on-location show where people can come down and say hi. All right, well, that's fun. We can do both. I think the thing about Fan Expo is that there's already a lot of uh, stars there that we could actually bring into the into the podcast. Wouldn't that be the point? Sure, but we would have to go to them. They wouldn't be coming to our little room for an interview. Oh. So the, the, the fans who would come down to watch us do the show would come to watch us press play. What, what, so, so the people that were doing the podcast there, they didn't have wranglers that went and got the no. various people? Oh. No, no. Oh. It was just come down and see them do their own show. No, 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 no. Okay, if that's the situation, then, yeah. then no. I, I, thought, I thought we could talk to the organizers who would then parade people through. No. Well, couldn't we, couldn't we talk to organizers and have them set up interviews? Because when I was talking to Shatner, he said, am I talking to you tomorrow? I says, well, if you want to. He says, no, no, am I scheduled to talk to you tomorrow? And I go, no, would you like to? He goes, no, I can't do it. So somebody must be scheduling these things. Right. So I, the thing is, is that those are one-on-one interviews that are done in a hotel room in the Intercontinental attached to the convention center, as opposed to on location. Because could you imagine Shatner having to walk from point A to point B, just a mob? He's Yeah, well, I've, I've done it with him, and it's, there is a mob. Yeah. We once walked from Massey Hall past the Eaton Center up to Elm Street to a restaurant called Barbarians. Oh, I love that restaurant. And yeah, we had the, the private upstairs room. And um, yeah, it's it's a bit weird. Um, he has this big floppy hat and these sunglasses that he wears to to avoid um, being spotted. I was in with him and I flew from him from Edmonton to, uh, with him from Edmonton to Winnipeg once. And uh, he, he was accorded a little bit of VIP treatment, but for the most part, we were just sitting in the departure lounge and he had his head down. So please, God, don't let anybody see me. Yeah, right. Yeah. I can understand it's a problem, but yeah, okay. What we want to find out from you is would you, in fact, join us for a live show in Toronto? Um, fire us off a, a message by any of our social media means, uh, and as opposed to us putting out a poll, because at least this way we know that you put the effort into it, which means that there's a genuine response associated with it. Right, and it's not that we're going to be mercenary about making any money. It's just no. that we want to cover a little few costs and then try something a little bit different. Because if the if the Facebook Live thing worked as well as you say it did, and you know, I have no reason not to believe you, um, well, let's try something else. Let's try a, a live on location thing. <laughs> one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. So uh, we're doing this over the course of the Labor Day weekend. Everybody's back to school and back to work now. And you found the perfect mashup to get us back on track for the new work season. Yeah, I got a thing about mashups simply because I admire people who have the musical chops and ability to recognize the similarities and, uh, of, of two disparate songs. And uh, who knew, who knew that uh, The Who and Black Sabbath could go so well together?
What's the story behind Black Sabbath's Paranoid? Uh, okay, well, Black Sabbath's Paranoid is from an album of the same name, 1972. And uh, this is a song that apparently the band cranked out in about 15 or 20 minutes. That's how long it took to write and record. Um, and it has become probably the biggest song um, in the Black Sabbath catalog. Uh, Who Are You is from the album of the same name from 1978. And it is the last album to feature original drummer Keith Moon. And that was really one of the, well, no, there were a few others after that. But Who Are You was one of the last great legendary Who singles. So certainly it was the big Who song, uh, the last Who song to feature feature Keith Moon. So uh, because he was dead, I think, eight or nine days after that album came out in September 1978. So putting these two together... Um, it works on a whole bunch of different levels. It works on the levels of, of you know, Keith Moon uh, being crazy and and uh, Ozzy being crazy and um, to just classic, classic rock songs. That particular album, Paranoid by Black Sabbath, helped kickstart a, uh, an anti-satanic kind of backlash, this fear that this kind of music was trying to uh, get kids into Satanism. In the 1970s, a nurse in the U.S. committed suicide, and when they found her body, the album was on the turntable, and so the f- belief was, was that Black Sabbath was responsible for her death. So there was an inquest. Yeah, there were a couple of inquests into whether or not metal actually encouraged self-harm in people. The apparent practice of Satanism, that's worship of the devil. Now, police have been skeptical when investigating these acts, just as we are, in reporting them. But there is no question that something is going on out there. And that's sufficient reason for 2020 to look into it. Um, there was this rise in Satanism or, you know, alleged Satanism between not only Black Sabbath and fans, but also Led Zeppelin and a few others. And uh, by the time we get into the 1980s, you have, for example, Ozzy with a song called Suicide Solution that is uh, was, was cited as being the cause of somebody's death. Uh, there was some Judas Priest material that was brought before a court saying, you know, this music caused people to kill themselves. And that's all pretty much died out right now. But that was a big part of, out of, of um, it came out of the U.S. evangelical movement and how the songs were being identified as uh, possessed by Satan. I mean, there was songs of, uh, you know, Stairway to Heaven, if you play it backwards, there's all kinds of hidden messages there, apparently, um, you know, praising Satan and all that kind of stuff. And then we had the PMRC come along in the mid-1980s, and that sort of stoked the fire a little bit more. But we haven't really heard much about people complaining about Satanism and music outside of a few corners of the evangelical world. I think we've all kind of gotten over that. Meantime, uh, we've uncovered a 1986 session with the Tragically Hip recorded by Red Riders founding member guitarist Ken Greer that includes an alternate verse for New Orleans' sinking. Yeah, this is a, an interesting thing. Uh, a, a guy, an anonymous guy, sent me this. If uh, When I first got the YouTube video, there were 675 views. So it hadn't been viewed very often. Um, there were a number of demos. The tragically performed in, in 84, late 84. And by the time they had got to 86, which is what we're talking about here, they had jettisoned their saxophone player. And had uh, well, hang on, wait a minute. Yeah, they had a saxophone player. Yes, the original the original version of the Tragically had a sax player, uh, who was quite a bit older than the rest of the band. Very nice, very nice. I once ruptured myself doing that. Thanks, Mr. Murphy. My friends call me Bleeding Gums. Ew. But by '86, it had coalesced into the classic lineup, the lineup that lasted the entire time, uh, the entire career of the Tragically Hip. 
and they were starting to work on some some demos. Ken Greer is a guitarist with Red Rider, very famous, uh, and he had you know a really good run in the early part of the 1980s with uh, with Tom Cochran, and uh, that these demos. Um, eventually led to the band being signed to MCA in 19, uh, 1987 they, with their debut EP. And, um, so one year after we're about to listen to this soundtrack, yeah. th- this, this song. Yeah. Uh, one year after they were, there was a bit of a bidding war and they were signed by MCA Records to put on an EP and then uh, their debut album. And then they were off to the races. But anybody who is into the hip knows that these demos exist, but precious few of them have ever been shown anywhere or played anywhere they're, I don't Well, know. they're clearly not meant for consumption. Well, no, that's what demos are all about, right? Demos are rough, are works in progress. So the hiss on this is absolutely outrageous. So I, I did my best to try to clean it all up here. You, you listen to it and you tell me if I did an okay job. Well, that's a really good job. So is that good enough to play? Like, can we do this justice? Yeah, I, I think we should do that simply because um, it sounds like this. The, what, what's posted came from a cassette that really does sound very cassette-y. Right, like probably directly off a four-track Tascam from 86. Oh, I, I no, no. I think that was. A, I think that's a dub of a dub of a dub of a dub. Oh. And, and people have maybe tweaked the treble a, a little bit here and there. But you don't get that kind of hiss from, from a single... Duplication. That, that's multiple duplications. What did you do to actually clean it up? Sound Soap Solo allows you to use artificial intelligence, at least it claims, by uh, you, you isolate an area of the audio where there is no music or anything other than the hiss, and it determines what that hiss sounds like and what it will continue to sound like through the rest of the audio, and then it extracts that. And then I brought it into Pro Tools and played with the EQ until I got something that sounded possibly consumable if you were listening to the show in your car through Bluetooth. No, that's fine. It sounds fine. Uh, let's let's just go with it. All right. Uh, I, I wonder if it uses, Does I guess, would it be phase canceling? It must be phase canceling. I, I don't know how it ultimately works, but I paid $60 for the app so that we could have it for all time. And so when we have guests on the show, sometimes they come from locations where they're sitting next to a refrigerator. Yeah. I can get rid of the low 60 hertz hum of a fridge behind oh, a microphone. Okay. It's awesome. Hang on. Can you hear the Bolteria snoring underneath the desk? Generally, yes. And generally, I don't bother to remove it. Oh, okay. Well, she's, she's, she's underneath my console right now. She's having, uh, having a bit of a snooze. Uh, okay, well, maybe we can use it to extract the Bolteria sounds.
London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. How are you doing? Well, it's kind of nice to be back in the home studio and not uh, having to worry about the uh, the giant technical <laughs> cluster poop that we had last week. But um, <laughs> it did turn out okay. I mean, you've watched it, obviously. No, no, you, you know haven't. I, I cannot stand watching myself on camera. Well, neither can I. But I had to see exactly how this thing turned out because we. Expended so much energy. Well, you expended so much energy yes. putting this thing together with uh, with the crew and the catering, and you had gift bags for the uh, for the guests. And wow! So, how did it look? It looked well. Okay, it looked really good. I mean, I've seen a lot of Facebook Live things, and uh, this was, I thought, quite a bit better <laughs> than anything that I've seen. That wasn't a totally that wasn't a totally professional shoot. The thing about this was that I was trying to shoehorn some pretty substantial and complicated broadcast quality concepts into free software designed for Twitch gamers. And we had our ace director, Sean Jete, who does this professionally. He made a very smart call, which was. He pulled back on all the bells and whistles that I couldn't get working properly, the ones that I couldn't guarantee were going to work. So um, the, the, every time we cut to your camera, I had it set up to give out the Star Trek door opening sound effect. Yeah, I remember. And eventually it froze. So he just cut it from the the whole show all of the graphics he just cut them he went back to what was the absolute bare bones which for a facebook live show it was three cameras plus a steady cam yeah all done via wireless microphones so yes <laughs> even pulling back it was still a substantial production this this was you pretty much macgyvered everything it was it's a, it was a really impressive bit of geekery. Well, thank you. I, I re, it really was. And once we, you know, we had a couple of false starts, but once we got going, it was okay. My favorite part was when we, when Brittle Star kept coming up to me, going, "I, I don't see you on on Facebook. I don't, I don't see it happening." And I looked down, and we hadn't clicked the go live button. So we had to start all over again. So we we had a fifteen minute rehearsal, basically. <laughs> Well, that actually worked because from then on it was pretty smooth. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, so nice work. Uh, you can take all the credit. I will take none. And uh, it was a very interesting experiment. Did we... Okay, can you give us some statistics on, on if anybody actually watched this thing? More than 8,000 views. No kidding. And I don't know if that's 8,000 three-second views, <laughs> as in, oh, I don't want to watch this crap, or people actually watching it. Um, but we also had about 550 comments. Well, that's pretty good for a first-timer, don't you think? I think that's a pretty good indication that we had a successful show. Uh, so then that means we're going to have to do this again. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. Do we do it yearly? I think I think we do it maybe monthly or quarterly, but certainly not with the same amount of technical tomfoolery. Well, your wife wouldn't stand for that because you took over the entire first floor of your house. Right. So maybe we'll take over the family room instead, and we'll make it a two-camera instead of a four-camera shoot. Um, I have for you, by the way, an update to my virtual reality headset. They updated the Star Trek Bridge Crew app to include the TGN Enterprise. Okay, that would be good because I like that bridge better than the original series. Right, so maybe we'll bring you back to the house and you can try out some new uh, VR. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on, on that. All right, that's fine. As part of the whole big show, we were telling everyone that Ed the Sock was going to be on. Yeah, and uh, it turns out it was a last-minute cancellation. These things happen to uh, to the best of us. Uh, he had a bad back, and uh, there's nothing more cranky than a sock with a bad back, so we, we did not have him for the, the live broadcast. 
but he did send us a video at about 90 minutes before the airtime, an hour and oh. a half, two and a half hours before airtime. But we were so caught up putting out the freaking dumpster fires that was the technical issues behind the scenes that I didn't even see the video. Oh. Part of the problem was is that my iPhone was our Steadicam <laughs> yeah. hooked up to a DJI Osmo mobile so even when it came in because we had all of the notifications turned off the thing i would never have seen it so we want to say thanks to ed for actually putting uh some time together to put out an apology for not joining us on the big show um but unfortunately we didn't see it on time hey geeks and beaters well that doesn't sound very good uh hey geeks and beats fans sorry i couldn't be there tonight there's nothing i'd enjoy more than wasting one of the last sundays of summer sitting on a deck with alan and michael and those other clowns they got buzzing around there but as confucius said shit happens so just enjoy the show and imagine how much better it would be if i were there I'll make good on my appearance in a future episode, uh, unless this one crashes and burns and there's never another one. But I never get that lucky. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at EdTheSock, on my Facebook page, and on my new online channel, FUNetwork.tv. Have a great show, Alan and Michael. Enjoy the mosquito bites. Did you see the tweet today? He says he wants to know when we're doing it again because he wants to have a make good. Excellent. Yeah, so that's, uh, that went to my Twitter account. Perfect. So we'll make sure that we do that. Yeah. Maybe that's the guy that we get for our live show wherever we do it. That's an excellent idea. Although I think dragging Ed the Sock down to Fan Expo is probably going to be more damaging to the fans than anything else. I don't think that would have been a very good idea, no. So we showed off my Fitbit Versa. If you didn't see the big live on Facebook Live from Michael's Back Deck Show Show, um, I had complained on Twitter that my next Apple Watch would not be an Apple Watch. My next smartwatch would be something different. And sure enough, the folks at Fitbit sent me a Versa. And? I've had it for a week now. I've got some positives. I've got some negatives so far. First of all, uh, when we unboxed it, it didn't have any power. And they explained to me that they had, in fact, flash memory upgraded it, upgraded the firmware on it so that it could uh, have the latest version. And that's what ran down the battery oh. on them. So usually when you buy one of these things, apparently it does come already pre-charged. Right. But, so, you know, we've all taken stuff out of the box. And the first thing it does is go through 20 minutes worth of upgrades. Right. Well, it still did go through 20 minutes yeah. of upgrades, even though they had already upgraded it for me. Right. So um, the the bad news is it doesn't filter my notifications the way the Apple Watch did. I always found that the real power of the Apple Watch, and it, and it turns out only the Apple Watch when it comes to iOS, is that I can set up notifications based upon my VIP status of people communicating with me right. by email or text. So if it's a VIP person such as yourself or wifey or my daughter, my wrist vibrates. If it's someone who isn't immediately someone I need to get in touch with, my pocket vibrates. And you can set it up for um, email like that as well. If you've got a uh, someone who's not on your VIP list, but it's an important email thread, you can hit the little notification bell on your email app. And then when that email comes through, your watch will vibrate. Unfortunately, the Fitbit series doesn't have that kind of granular filtering that the built-in operating system relationship that Apple's smartwatch has with its iPhone operating system does. Mm. So there's a, that's a negative. The other one, big one, was barbecuing. I would tell what? my... Wait, what? I know I don't barbecue uh, that much or at least anywhere near as well as wifey. But when I do it, I always tell my, my phone, give me a six-minute warning, and it'll make my watch vibrate if my phone's nowhere nearby. iOS alarms don't work with Fitbit. You have to set up a Fitbit-specific alarm. But I will tell you, while those are two strikes, there is one home run with the Fitbit Versa that I'm enjoying, and it's the fact that the battery life is four to five days. Days? Days. Such that I'm sleeping with the watch on, and it is now monitoring my sleep and recognizing when I slide into REM, when I slide into deep, and when I slide into light sleep, and showing me, graphing for me, my entire night. Huh. All right. Well, that's interesting. And what are you doing with this data? At this point, nothing. It's oh. only been a week. But what I can see is that if I get up in the morning and I feel like I really didn't have a good night's sleep, my app can tell me, oh, yeah, you only got 19% REM sleep versus 23%, which is what you had the night before. I didn't realize that REM isn't the be-all and end-all of sleep either. According to Fitbit, REM sleep should be about 20% of your overall sleep. The majority should be light sleep. Oh. 
And that is, in fact, the case for me. All right. Well, keep monitoring this and then report back with any with any findings, please. I, I, I think I'm going to suck up to other smartphone manufacturers as well, because I want to get a sense as to whether or not this is a Fitbit-specific thing or not. Because, for example, Fossil, which was a strong recommendation on the live show when we talked about this, um, the beauty of Fossil is that it's an actual circular watch face, which I think is kind of neat. I think if you're going to wear a watch, it should look like a watch. Um, but it's also the Google Watch OS, not the Apple Watch OS, without the space between the watch and the OS, by the way, for legal reasons. And I don't know if that's going to give me a greater granularity when it comes to filtering out notifications or not. But apparently it is a remarkable smartwatch in and to itself. Oh, okay. Well... Keep me posted on that because I, I'm I'm growing a little bit tired of my Apple Watch. I mean, it works great. Um, Which generation do you have? A G1. Yeah, you and me both. Yeah. People say that the third generation is awesome. The fourth one apparently is coming out September 12th. Yes. So I fired off a message to my contact at Apple uh, saying, hey, how about you send me down to the Apple show September 12th? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. After bitching about how my next smartwatch isn't going to be an Apple watch, something tells me they're not going to fly me down to Cupertino. No, I, I've, I've got a feeling. also like to make a mention to Assure. Assure uh, Microphone sent me another microphone. I have two now. I have the little one that we showed on the... Uh, yes. On the, on the uh, live broadcast. And then they sent me another one, which is the... Uh, something slightly different from what they is it is it the big ass one because it's the it's bigger but it's not as big as i haven't opened it yet oh because i've I've got the mv51 in front of me which is an awesome awesome microphone very retro feel to it it's got a little touch panel on the front of it for muting the microphone or switching to different modes on it um, and adjusting volume control which i think is going to be great when we are live on location at the consumer electronics show in las vegas in january Right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm actually going to the scoopum. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm actually going to the scoopum. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm actually going to the Skookum Music Festival in Vancouver on Friday, and um, I'll be gathering interviews backstage uh, on Friday and Saturday before I head out to uh, Singapore. So, are you going to use the MV the MV88? I'm going to take both. Okay. And so, I, you know, there's Julian Taylor, there's Delhi to Dublin, there's Dear Rouge, Black Pistol Fire, Chromio, Matt Mays, Arkells on the Friday. So I'm going to grab as many of those people as I possibly can. Uh, Saturday, there's the Zolas, Midnight Shine, great indigenous group. Uh, Said the Whale, X Ambassadors, uh, Milky You're just Chance. making up names now. No Speaking of big shot musicians, mm. on the live show, we had a big conversation about our musical guest, Sting. Oh, yes. And uh, since uh, if you missed the big live show, the upshot is it took 190 episodes for Sting's people to recognize that we promoted Sting as the musical guest on every single show in the last five <laughs> seasons. Yes. And so I asked... Should we now that Sting's people went, what are you doing? Oh, it's just a joke? Okay, yeah, sure, you can keep doing that. Um, whether or not we should actually change it to someone else. Uh, did we post a poll? We posted a poll, and the results are virtually unanimous, although we did have some suggestions that maybe uh, the Arkells might be a good one because they might actually show up on my back deck. danger is that the, you know, the Arkells are a really hardworking band. They go to the opening of an envelope. I mean, they would, they would show Right, so so we would actually then do another live on my back deck show that would be that much more complicated because uh, we have a live band. Yes, it would be. And, and by the we did have uh, a celebrity chef, Mike Benninger, was here. So at least we, we've got some late night TV show cred. Well, we do because you got to have, uh, you know, it's like, kind of like having Julia Child on the show. It was great. Exactly. So the results of the poll, we are, in fact, going to keep Sting as the musical guest. Okay. 
We want to say uh, thank you to Chris Bolstridge and Paul Nadon, who uh, were uh, longtime supporters of The Big Show as members of the World's Worst Intern Program. They had been plopping down a buck or so an episode to support us. Fans rushed to be the co-producer of our season finale, and then when the dumpster fire hit us, we got so caught up in it that we never got a chance to thank everyone for supporting oh, the live right. show. you're right. We completely dissed the people that supported the show. So we want to say thank you to Dave Duva, who donated 25 bucks for the live show. Brennan Tan, also 25 bucks. And then Arenko donated $125 to become the patron in residence of the big show. Now, here's how this works. If you donate $125, you get to be the patron for that week, which means you get to pick a topic. Oh. And so I messaged him at the time saying, thanks for your generosity. What's the topic? And he replied only, I don't have any suggestions, but perhaps get Alan to make a plea to Tool to speed up and get a new album out. The world is waiting. I will send a note to Maynard tonight. (laughs) And I know what I'll get back. Nothing. Kind of like when you fired off a message to Shatner. Well, I did get an answer back, but I mean, we did get what? Like three minutes with him? You got 38 seconds with the guy. No. His, pe- his people tackled me saying, I'm sorry, we're not doing interviews right now. And I had to turn off the camera. You didn't. No. But yes. you, you did You did get something, right? Well, we got one photo of the back of your head, which could have been any of the other nerds at that event. That was me. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.